Irish whiskey, Irish whiskey. Oh, okay, I'm recording. I don't know what's happening. Welcome to the Dungeons and Dissolutes podcast. We're here with your hosts, Lawrence Reeves and Chase Bobier. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> it's late. It's late. Good evening. Hi. <laughs> oh, but that, okay, that does not portray the excitement I have with this whiskey. I've had this bottle for a moment, and I'm very excited about it. All right. What is it? Uh, we are looking. I'm looking at, I'm holding, and I'm smelling West Cork's Barrel Proof. This is a Irish whiskey, and I really enjoy Irish whiskey. And while I I identify as an Isla guy, and I, I love the peat, I love the oil, there's just something so friendly and just comforting about Irish whiskey. I agree, and I think a lot of the flavor pro- profiles of Irish whiskey – um, are really similar to a lot of Isla, like unpeated Isla whiskeys. Yeah. Like they're a, really similar. Yeah. And I think that's why we like them. Both. Yeah. And of course it's like, you can't go wrong with some of the stuff that you get out of them. And I'm excited by West Cork in particular because Ireland is very different compared to Scotland in how distillation happens. And how the businesses are set up. Because, you know, Scotland, every distillery makes its own thing. And it's been that way for like 200 years. Well, through a series of very unfortunate events, Irish, the Irish whiskey community and business and the industry just fell apart in the early 1900s because of, I actually have some notes on it. Um... There was prohibition between 1920 and 1933, and there was the potato famine in between 1845 and 1849. But also, um, during prohibition, right before right before prohibition was World War One, and then the inter- interwar years, and then going into World War Two. So there was this, you know, you had prohibition and the World Wars, and I think there was an. Man, they got hit hard. Oh, yeah. And, and didn't Scotland survive by, like, advertising their spirits as, like, a med- having medicinal value okay, or something? Okay, so, um, oh, yeah, and there was also, right in the middle of that, um, 1922, 1923, was the Irish Civil War. That, that's right. That had a huge that, impact that, on the stories. Yeah. But that was so kind of like the last nail in the coffin. The, during Prohibition, the Irish being good Catholics... We're like, no, we're obeying the law. And Scott said, nah, screw that. <laughs> yeah. And either imported uh, under, oh, no, oh, no. What happened to my, okay, my internet crashed, whatever. Um, <laughs> I was scared my computer died. Um, they either imported illicitly or specifically in the case of Lefroig. Because of the heavy iodine note, that's right. <laughs> they were able to convince the U.S. government that, hey, this is actually medicine, and doctors would prescribe Lafroig. 
How many political officials do you think were prescribed Lafroy? Oh, a lot. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So very many. It was, it was just Lafroy who got that honor. I guess you can't do it anymore. That's entirely, completely, so very illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> to oh my goodness. say that whiskey is medicine. Yeah, I don't know what happened to my internet, but it's it's not working. Whatever. What are you looking for? Uh, my Safari crashed. It's oh. fine. I don't need it. But back to West Cork. So because of the collapse of the Irish whiskey industry, it collapsed down to about three distilleries that were all competing. And eventually, they kind of came together and were like, hey, if we keep fighting, we're all going down. And they coalesced into the Irish Distillers Corporation and eventually into Middleton Distillery in County Cork. Okay. I felt a little stupid today. I went on West Cork's website and I realized that last night (laughs) I sent you text. I was like, hey, where is West Cork? Where is West Cork Distillery? And where's like, where's the whiskey made? Well, then I went on the website. It's like in West Cork, Ireland. Well, (laughs) so it's like, I mean, saying Cork is like saying Williamson County. That's mm. it's it's County Cork. So okay. it's a it's a county that encompasses two different cities. West Cork is specifically in Skibbereen. Okay. Which is about uh, sixty miles south of Killarney. 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 I just love the names of Irish towns. Killarney. Um, Are you going to Cork or Killarney? Well, it's both. It's both. That was that. Was, okay, I'm gonna stop with accents. That's malarkey. I'm I'm offending so many people. <laughs> Anyways, um, West Cork was founded in 2003, mm-hmm. and they have been making leaps and bounds ever since, and recently this year just opened up a brand new distilling space in Skibbereen. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I love that we were having two younger distilleries in a row these well, I mean, couple weeks. Really, this is super cool. Technically... Our first few episodes have all been younger distilleries because that's right. Because Butaclada in its current form is when did they start? The nineties with Jimmy no, or 2000. late eighties, like two thousand one. I'm saying like with like like with Jimmy McEwen. like two thousand. That really that was mm-hmm. that recent. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Yeah, he was there for fifteen years from like two thousand to twenty fifteen because they were mothballed in the early nineties. Wow, late eighties, so early nineties. Our first. Three episodes are all babies. I mean, really. Of course, Brooklyn has... It has history. It has it's, deep it's history. It's got history. But I'm just talking about as far as like current development and yeah. like where, they've, where they're at, like relative to all the other distilleries and not and Not just new and, distilleries, but progressive, experimental, yeah. not afraid to push boundaries distilleries. Like these yeah. aren't people who've done the same thing for a hundred years and are going to continue doing the same thing because it works. Right. Now, yeah, they've all found things that work, but they're not afraid to experiment. They're, and They're pushing the bounds. I'm very excited to eventually get my hands on more of West Cork's expressions because mm-hmm. they have some very, very interesting expressions that I want to try. Yep. But let's focus on what we have tonight, which is this barrel proof. So Spicy. for those of you who are either new to whiskey or have never had whiskey or can't have whiskey for whatever reason. Barrel proof just means that this whiskey was, it is bottled right out of the barrel. Most whiskeys are going to have some form of proofing down done 
to either bring down the heat of the alcohol or hit the flavor profile that the distillers want or in the case of some distilleries um get the most whiskey out of the barrel that they can by bottoming it out to 40 percent abv which is the legal lowest amount of alcohol you can have in whiskey so west cork with this particular expression to use the bougie word for it decided that they wanted us to be able to experience this as it came out of the barrel at 62% alcohol by volume. Let's go for it. That's all. I, I got to say, before we go in, I really enjoy um, straight whiskeys and um, barrel-proof whiskeys because it makes me feel like it like takes me to the distillery yeah. when it was being bottled. Like yeah. I don't feel like I'm missing out on what went on after the aging process. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is it. it this is about as close as you can get to just drawing it out of the barrel with a phalanx. Yeah. That it's very I mean, it, every time you open it and drink, it's like, oh, I feel like I'm at an actual like barrel yeah. tasting. I'm getting like sweet banana nut bread on the nose. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that it's it has this breadiness and this butteriness on the nose. It's so, oh my goodness, it's so nice. There's also a, it's somewhere, there's probably a fruit that exists somewhere right in between an orange and a lemon yes. that I get that's just really bright and inviting to me. Is it? It has a little bit of salt, a little bit of almost a. It's like orange, lemon, lime, almost like a sherbet type of like, yeah. flavor but smell yes it's it's gorgeous yeah it's really nice that this was totally not what i expected yeah it's really nice because i mean like the majority of people you say irish whiskey they're they're gonna think jameson and i mean mm-hmm. rightly so jameson is it's it's good whiskey yes yeah. i'd say great whiskey they know what they're doing there's a reason jameson is jameson <laughs> um and that is just quintessential Irish whiskey. And if I got in there and pull it, I can, I can get the malt. So on the subject of malt, this is not 100% malted barley, like a lot of the Scottish whiskeys I enjoy. And this is a tradition in Irish whiskey that it is a blend of both malt and grain whiskeys. Grain being... Grain that hasn't been malted, mm-hmm. which malting is the process of wetting the grain and then heating it so that it sprouts, creating more sugars, allowing the easier creation of alcohol. And this came into being because originally all of it was malted. But there were taxes put in place because for anyone who works around liquor or has worked in the liquor industry, we all know the tax man cometh. Yes, he does. And a couple hundred years ago, the tax man really cometh. <laughs> he, he cameth and he conquereth. Yep. So the Irish, being the wonderful, resourceful people they are, when the king put a tax on malt, they said, cool, we'll just put unmalted grain in our whiskey. <laughs> Gotta love the Irish. They'll we'll just... make it different then. Yeah, But it adds... 
it's added a special character to Irish whiskey that is this. When we get into the flavor, it is there. The most amazing buttery vanilla shortbread. Yes, one hundred percent. That's that's a uh, that's a flavor that I consistently get when I'm drinking Irish whiskeys. It's it's very present most yeah. of the time, and it is really nice. And it just like it, it. I think it's the thing that makes it special. Like yeah, it's what makes Irish whiskey. It's Irish it's whiskey. a lot of the identity of Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I I took a sip. I didn't tell you guys I was, but I did. I really like this whiskey. Um, I mean, we're sitting here and this bottle is half empty and that was mostly me. Let's see here. Mm. Yeah. I gotta say, off the bat, it does not taste as hot as what it says no, it is it doesn't uh it's really nice yeah um i think those like vanilla cookie like kind of lemon zest flavors really round yeah, off it's, that heat it just really tastes nice. like the most amazing gorgeous shortbread 100 that you could get it has this over it, it has a to me it has a top first note i can't name the flower but it's floral not quite perfume then it sinks into that vanilla and shortbread and citrus. Mm-hmm. It also has kind of a little bit of an apricot finish. Mm-hmm. It's. That, I know exactly what flower you're talking about, too. <laughs> I know, right? It's, um, it's some kind of a... Well, I don't want to talk like I'm some like tea flower expert because I'm not, but <laughs> <laughs> like absolutely not. I'm not even a whiskey expert and I'm running a whiskey podcast. Yep. So uh, I'm not a tea flower expert, but there is a tea flower out there that this tastes very similar to. Yeah. And I I wish I could tell you what it was. I, I just took another sip. And what I love about this whiskey is it has a lot of depth and it can present you a lot of things. And I just got... Almost like a, a dark milk chocolate. Yes. Off of it on the sides of the tongue. It just, it keeps presenting new things to me every time I go into it. To me, I'm getting, I've gotten like a, uh, like a warm, like white chocolate with almost like an orange marmalade kind of swirled into it. it yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, this is absolutely brilliant whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, from the information I could dig up, um, one, they do actually present you the the mash bill on the website. That's cool. So this is 66% malted barley mm-hmm. and 34% unmalted barley. Okay. Which are traditionally for Irish spirits are distilled separate. They are mashed and distilled separately. Then the majority of the aging takes place separately. Whoa, and then they blend them afterwards. Then this particular one was then blended and married in an ex-bourbon cask for six months. Very cool. And as far as I can tell, this is a, it's a, it's an NAS or no age statement. So I'm thinking this is probably going to be two to three years old. So it's two to three years aging separately. And I believe the majority of the casks they use are ex-bourbon. But West Cork, they malt their own whiskey. They char their own barrels. 
I mean, th- this was three guys who started this in the back room of one of the three sheds. It was um, John O'Connell, Gurr McCarthy, and Dennis McCarthy. And they started West Cork Distilling Co. in the back room of Dennis's house with old schnapps stills. Wow. That's in amazing. 03. Uh, they eventually went on to build what they called the Rocket, which was a small still because they needed to produce more. So they built their own still. And at the time, apparently it was one of the fastest running stills in the world. What is it? Uh, is it a column still or is it a, a pot still? I don't. I couldn't dig up any information particularly on the Rocket. And right now my inner uh, Safari doesn't work. So I can't. <laughs> Technical difficulties. I will find it. Thank you, Larry. Your computer is more reliable than mine. Yes, it is. Um, so, oh, where was I? Sorry, this, this is just great whiskey. I'm getting like this writing, almost creme brulee on as like this lingering finish on it, which is just so nice. So, it looks like it's a, it looks like it's a column still. Column. I wouldn't be surprised. Which would make sense if you're running a really fast rocket, still. Yeah. And it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. We could be wrong on that, though. But that's wrong. what it looks like to me. <clears throat> cool. I think column stills are pretty cool. Oh, column stills are great. You get to watch a lot of the process through the little... Uh, the windows? Little windows, and I think that's really fun, especially when you're yeah. touring a distillery and they have column stills, and you get to kind of see yeah. what's going on inside. Um, really fun experience. I personally prefer whiskey out of a pot still, but... You know, that's that's personal preference. Yeah. Um, and it's pot stills to me, they just create a spirit that has a lot more of the heavy congeners and flavors that I'm looking for. Mm. That's that's just what I personally am looking for out of a whiskey. And yes, I understand that pot stills are less efficient because you have to, you know, empty them and stop distilling for a while. Unlike a column still, where you can just uh, run the thing all the time. There, there is something really special though about what comes out of a pot still. I oh, mean, they... yeah. I mean, there's a reason yeah. that Middleton uses pot stills. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're just adding a little bit of water to this to crack this open. Oh wow, that nose just comes alive. Wow, a little bit too close there. <laughs> it it brightens up a bunch. Yeah, it gets a lot more floral. Super, super flowery, flowery. <laughs> I think I'm I'm picking out like roses and orange blossoms. Yeah, that's on that's on it. But again, with that sweetness, and that's coming from those bourbon barrels. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I like that. Mm. Yeah, that water brings out a lot of, like, orange and honey. Uh, yeah, honey is honey like is a really water. rich honey. Like, that's the type of honey. It's, like, my favorite honey note that I can get out of something is when I imagine... Honey just coming straight off the comb, like yeah. untouched, like just as rich as it could possibly be. Oh, that's that, what that that's flavor how honey is. Should be. I just, oh, I absolutely love that. That's 
Pete, back to the it's, first episode. It's what I get from Classic Lottie. It's got that yeah. rich honey thing that just gets me. This has got all that. I love it. Those oils are still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a tiny bit of smoke. Mm-hmm. Just a tiny, tiny little bit. Just enough, you know, just a little, mm-hmm. little, little, little dab. Tink. Just enough. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. That is like, this is actually, I, I would say this is a really great post-dinner yeah. Right after dessert whiskey, or even with dessert whiskey. I, I would put this with a dessert. It like a like a tea cake, like a really good cake or something. I, like. I would pair this with something rich. Yeah. Because it has the alcohol and the strength to cut through. Man, like a really dark chocolate cake. This would be so tasty with. Yeah. Yo. Um I, I probably want somebody that plays with those fruit flavors, so maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, okay, I would put it with lemon meringue pie, but I Ooh. will I will pair anything with lemon meringue pie. Yeah, as long as it <laughs> means I get to eat lemon meringue pie. <laughs> I know my mom listens to this. Hi, mom. You make the best pie. <laughs> Chase's mom, you make good pie. You also make very good jam. I've had it. It's the yeah. best. Audrey, your jam is good too. I don't think she listens. <laughs> Okay, my oh, wife doesn't. And actually, either. you asked me a fun question when we were shooting questions back and forth with each other to have ready for this podcast, and it was kind of a joke, which oh. was, <laughs> "Is it keto?" I ask if everything is keto. <laughs> and fun fact: uh, distilled spirits in general, any pure distilled spirit is inherently keto. It is keto. It's also gluten free. That was actually. Um, back when I started my whiskey, whiskey, uh, my guided tastings, one of my first, uh, Anna, lovely Anna. And there we go. Big time supporter of the podcast. Big time supporter of the podcast. Thanks for being there. She, she has some gluten intolerances and some other people with gluten intolerances. They're like, can mm-hmm. we do this? I'm like, yeah, whiskey has no gluten, even though it's, you know, made from barley yeah, or mm-hmm. other grain that has gluten. That's all left behind. Yeah. So you have a you have something that's really whiskey as a as a beverage as a as a nightcap as something alcoholic is inherently free of a lot of your major allergens and intolerances. Yeah. Pretty much anybody can enjoy it without risking um, something going wrong or yeah. not feeling good for. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody that's never ingested alcohol before. Yeah. I, Definitely not this. This is, no, no. This, this kind of hits like a freight train when you the yeah. first time you get to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super delicious though. Oh, it's oh, it's delightful. I I'm gonna start working on my scoring for this because yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's just, gosh, I, I've gotten to a point where I can really get just malt and honey on the nose mm-hmm. and it's just mm. <clears throat> dude that flavor is just really good I'm 
I'm sorry you guys just had to sit here quietly, awkwardly while we... I feel like we need to like get some like elevator music to go while we do this, and then we can come yes. back from it. <laughs> just to give people some yeah. entertainment. Or it's like a really dumb... We'll be back ad. soon, I promise. It's a dumb ad spot for yeah, a non-existent like product. An ad insert. <laughs> Yeah, this is. What's that awkward part where I just have to sit and wait for the finish to happen? Um, and then. Okay. I, I, I enjoyed this way more than I anticipated. This actually wound up getting getting a pretty high score for me. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's gotten a very high score for me. It wow. reminds me so much of one of my favorite scotches. So, yeah, it, it's definitely like it this is delightful. It was above my expectations. Yeah, by a lot. So for me, um, start with aroma. I guess four. There's just so much going on in the nose of this. And that's partially because it wasn't proofed down. Right. So those oils haven't fractured. They haven't been released from the whiskey. And you ha- you get to experience those first crackings of it. Mm-hmm. And that's something really special. It's like being the first one to break the crust on a cupping bowl. Uh-huh. Oh, it's my that, gosh, yeah. It's that one-shot opportunity for that aroma. Yep, just explodes in your face. I gave it the exact same score yep. for that. I gave really it a good. four. Yep. Uh, taste was 3.5 for me. Okay. There's a lot there. It's everything I want out of an Irish whiskey. It's just I don't drink a lot of things of this proof. Right. So it is a bit hot. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a, like, end of menu kind of thing like yes i don't i don't want to be trying to taste things after this or this just may be all you plan on having yeah yeah um me being kind of a uh a bourbon guy as well i i actually scored it a five man i really loved the heat paired with the flavor profile i thought it was really nice yeah um just really like warmed my whole mouth when i had it um again like that flavor profile is so similar to what I love and a lot of like unpeated Isla scotches. Yeah. It's just really nice. I, I would say this whiskey, I would say is the ideal whiskey to have in a flask when you and your friends are out trekking somewhere cold that you don't want to go. <laughs> 100%. This is like a warm, cozy, yeah, wood burning stove in a tent, yeah, thing. <laughs> If that, if that, I don't know what that is, but yeah, yeah, it's that. Don't, don't put a stove in a tent. Don't do that. Unless you have a tent that can, you know, handle it. Yeah. Like a safari tent. Or one of those big military tents. Yeah. I don't have any of those. Most people don't. You might. Do you? I've used one. Okay. (laughs) Um, My Boy Scout troop used to have a, like a platoon tent. Okay. That was the worst thing in the world to set up. I can imagine. Yeah, it was awful. Um, what, what'd you get on Bowdy? I gave it a three. It's got a nice heaviness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
again, I think for me, just this proof is really, yep. I, I think I definitely, I'm more comfortable in the low to mid fifties range. Mm-hmm. This, this above 60 is just a lot. Yeah. So it's, while there's that weight, it's just cleaning itself off like mm-hmm. the sides of my tongue with that alcohol. Yeah. Again, I think this is where my having more experience with a lot of bourbons is coming in, where I, I really enjoyed it. Again, yeah. I gave it a 3.5. I definitely like it. Oh, yeah, it's good. But if you're not, if it's not typically what you're into drinking, I can see that. But yeah, I yeah. gave it a 3.5 on that. I liked it. <laughs> really tasty. This finish as well. I gave it a three for finish. Okay. Um, it it just keeps that sweetness. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of the heat riding up, but almost like a... It's this weird thing. I get this like vanilla shortbread with habaneros. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it rides... It's like a weird... It's got, it's got that habanero heat. Kind of like weird in, spice like thing, riding up your throat. Uh huh. But it leaves that sweetness. Yeah, almost like a like a pepper jam. Yeah, yeah. Pepper jam. I I gave it a I gave it a two point five on the finish. It, it's not my favorite. Like, I think everything leading up to the finish is so nice. Yeah. That once you get to the finish, it's not bad. It's just there is this thing on the back sides of my tongue that is kind of like this uh, bitter. I don't know. It's like kind this, of bitter, astringent. Yeah, kind of this bitter, astringent thing going on that I don't love, but everything leading up to that's excellent. See, I don't get that. Um, that might just be because I drink more Scottish whiskey. Probably. Where... I'm used to those really sweet finishes on gotcha. bourbon. Now, see, that's a that's another thing. In older bourbons, you can get a lot more of those tannins, which do that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But you don't you don't really drink a lot of the old bourbons. No, I don't really, I don't have a thing for those. <laughs> yeah, I don't like chewing on wood. <laughs> Neither do I. It's not my jam. I can go out in the woods and pick a stick up and chew yeah. on it if I feel like it. So overall, I have a thirteen point five. Okay, I came out with a fifteen, man. Okay, so let's see what we get off of that. That's a fourteen point two five. Yeah, buddy. That's pretty high. Like that's that's one uh, of the highest we've scored yet. Yeah. I don't think it surpassed Classic Lottie. No, Classic Lottie was 16.75. Yeah, that's going to be hard to beat. Oh, yeah. But this was definitely, this definitely earned its place. Definitely. Again, I I think part of this score for me was just being so surprised. Yeah. Like, I just did not anticipate that. I mean, (laughs) this sounds so, so silly because I try not to be like this, but even just, you know, from the bottling and the branding at first I was like, okay, like we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh it's really, really surprising. This, and this is a bottle that I'll probably, if I see it around, I'll probably grab one. Yeah. I'm Damn trying it. to think of what I picked it up for. Okay. My Canyon just kills a furry. Goodbye. Go away. I'd pay, I would pay 60 bucks for that bottle. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember. Oh, wait, do I have it down? Okay, that's what I paid for it. Yeah, $60. all right. Uh, and yeah, I would easily pay $60 for this. Mm-hmm. It's, and the thing is, like, 
being barrel proof, you can always, if you want to go through, proof it down to the proof that you like. So you really do get a lot of whiskey for your money. You really do. Even if, um, like, I'm, I'm even just thinking about, like, that little cask that I have. Like, if I were someone that had one of those yeah, and I, I didn't love how hot this was, I could do some good math, add a little bit of water, throw it in that cask for, like, a few days, yeah. take it out, and I'd probably be super happy with what I got out of it. Yeah. So... Oh no! Great whiskey. Really uh, good. Thank you, West Cork. Yeah, thanks. Doing great guys. things out there. Y'all keep doing you. Keep making me amazing whiskey. Yeah, really good. Get after it. All right, thanks, guys. We will be back after this short break. We are going to talk about starting a campaign. Welcome back from that short break. We are now going to dive into starting a campaign. It's yeah, man. Starting campaigns. That's <laughs> where do you even begin? Um, well, at the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> you begin the campaign at the beginning of the campaign. Yes, you become one with the campaign. You are the campaign, then you lose your mind. Um, <laughs> uh, starting campaigns, it's well, there's a lot, again, <laughs> there's two episodes where the answer is, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's a little secret. Everything we ever talk about is, it depends. Because <laughs> this is a show entirely based on our opinions. Subjective opinions. <laughs> that um, we think matter to you. Yes. I've had... I've had a lot more experience than you about start with starting campaigns. 100%. And a lot less experience than other people at it. I have run now four campaigns. Three of which I would consider successful. One of which was my first. And it was garbage. Garbage. It was lasted three sessions. Dysfunctional. But we all have to start somewhere. And I had the advantage of having you as my first DM ever, and I learned so much from you. Oh, thanks. Seriously. <laughs> I felt like I had a place to start a little bit. It's like watching my children grow up. It children is. I don't have yet. <laughs> <laughs> it really is interesting for me, like watching people I've either introduced to the hobby or been their like first like major DM like spread their wings into running games. Like mm. you started running this campaign for us. Uh, Tim has run a couple of one shots for us. Um, Nick who did D and D before yep. I met him, but you know, watching him grow as a dungeon master, as I played in his games in the last couple of years, it really has been so much fun. I'm so proud of all of you guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, starting campaigns is the first time you do it, it's going to feel awkward no matter what you do. It's, and I mean, that's, that's first, that's first sessions. That's really fresh for me because my first session was a month and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, I thought I was so prepared and then all of a sudden like, I cued my starting music and I was just in it and I was going and I was like kind of freaking out a little bit. 10 minutes in, 
It's all good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first sessions are going to be awkward. It, there's no amount of prep you can do as a dungeon master that's going to make the characters be immediately comfortable with each other. They're meeting strangers. Well, at least we can get into some things to mitigate that in a second. Um, my very first campaign, we started in a tavern. Classic. And it was actually... My very first campaign started around, right around when Matthew Mercer started Campaign 2, Critical Role. And I had watched one episode, and I more or less tried to do the same thing he did with Episode 1, where you had the, like, two groups and then trying to play them off each other. It didn't work. One, he had six people. I had three who it just the characters didn't work. And I didn't know. I didn't know what steps to take as a dungeon master to make sure characters work together. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Because when I picked up the books, when I bought my first player's handbook and dungeon master's guide, I was like, man, I'm going to play D&D. <laughs> I drew up a character, had a character sheet. Was he just my Elder Scrolls Online character put into Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. Um, and then I was like, oh. Isn't that everyone's first D&D character? Yeah. Well, then there was this moment of like, oh, wait. Somebody has to run the game. <laughs> wait, are you serious? Yeah. Did you really? Uh, I, I was like, oh, wait. You're, oh man, that's me, isn't it? That is <laughs> one of the most depressing tales I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I could just picture you being so lit, I, getting home, making this. Well, because if you go back to episode one, you talk about how you and your brothers played Pokemon, but you like made all pen and paper because you know yep. video games. So I can imagine you just having it in your mind of like, oh, like I just buy these books and I just play with these books, like, yeah out of it and then getting home and realizing you need someone to run the game <laughs> well I, I don't know why it didn't hit me that I needed someone to do that and then that person was me <laughs> I was like oh and like that wasn't terrible um turns out it was for that first game it was bad and actually um for those of you who are playing in my current campaign the world we're playing in now was the world I built for that first game. Wow. A little Evolved and changed through my years of learning everything I did so terribly wrong. A um, little bit of deep history here. Yeah. All right. And because I, I couldn't not go back to it because I wanted to do it some justice. And I'm a, apparently a masochist who likes homebrewing everything. Right from the gate. <laughs> There's something to that, though. There really is. One of these days, I'll run a module. Like, no, but like, it's like what I was saying a while back. Like, I was I I have been running a module for the first few sessions, and this just could be our personality types because I know some people that absolutely love modules. Again, this is all perspective. Yeah, and it's totally subjective. But there's something so satisfying and like cool when you have players that are 
actually playing through your story that you have written out. Yeah. And it's all coming from your brain. And it's not like you have to credit some other creator. Oh, yeah. Or like, like it really, you really do feel like you're in control of this world because you designed the whole thing. Yeah. And it's, it's that thing where it's like you have, for me, it's a comfort of it, of I actually, when it comes to this world, know everything. Right. Like to me, it's almost security as a DM. Yeah. Like you, like there's no like, well, I'm going to go look in the module book and see if what you're doing is right or how it should be. Exactly. Or I'm going to, you know, what do the rules say in the player's handbook? It's like, well, this is my world and I made it. So you're going to play in it how I tell you to play it. <laughs> Essentially what we're saying is we don't like being told we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, everything is subjective. This is my opinion. And I'm going to die on it. <laughs> I will die on this hill. I'll die on it. Oh, man. But I eventually, as we all know, that campaign lasted three sessions. <laughs> it did not last very long. Um, and I didn't, I didn't run Dungeons and Dragons again for solid eight months. Until Caitlin asked me to run a game for the people at Honest. And then you killed her over a 45-minute period as a helpless Well, that was like six months into it. <laughs> I actually don't... I don't remember exactly how that game started. It was so long ago, and my memory's bad. <laughs> what if we got some fan art back that was like half dolphin, half decrepit zombie? Oh, God. I don't, I don't want that. I do. I don't, I don't want it. Someone make it. I don't Someone want it. draw it. No. Do it. I, I don't need more memories of that. <laughs> Um, but what I can remember is one of the first adventures and, but I'm actually not going to talk about it because I'm saving that for a secret project we have coming up. Um, that, that moves us on to my third campaign and, you know, I'm more experienced. I've got like a year of DMing under my belt. I'm like, okay, I can do this. So I got everything together. I sent out pre packets to everyone about like, hey, this is the world we're going to be playing in, and this is what to expect. And I watched a video by Matthew Colville called The Hot Start. And that video single-handedly led to, to this day, the session, the one session that I ran that I can look back on and be 100% like, yeah, I did a good, I did a great job. Like, I have absolutely no doubts, no regrets, no second thoughts about that session. And essentially what the hot start is, is not... That the whole like start in a tavern, the classic, where you like sit everyone down and then kind of like, well, be friends, <laughs> talk to one another, talk to each other, get to know each other, please, no, role play, <laughs> yeah, the hot start is taking these characters, who your players have so lovingly crafted, and then jamming them into a terrible situation immediately. 
like in that session, a spaceship that was falling out of orbit very quickly. And I had a lot of fun with it because it gave me a few things. One, I built it as a throwaway session where I could do anything and it wouldn't hurt the campaign or the players. It was essentially built as a training exercise. That was in some sort of like magic VR. <laughs> that was my that was my first D&D session I that ever was. played in. And I, I'll tell you, it was flawless. Well, thank you. And there couldn't have been a better opportunity to learn how to play D&D yeah. and be a part of a campaign and not have to face the real consequences of stupid choices like just deciding to throw a dagger into some yeah. guy's head. That was the end of it. Um, because <laughs> we killed him. You did. And then we hit the red button. You did. Bam. So essentially, I got to run full fat combat with no like concern about what happened. I think two people lost limbs. Um, someone had fractured like ribs. It was... No holds barred. I threw an Ublax at them as the final enemy. <laughs> Dude, it was awesome. And then they sat around for 30 minutes real time debating whether or not to push a red button. <laughs> and I was... I forgot about that. I was fit to piss myself. I was like internally laughing so hard. Because the only thing the button did was end the simulation. <laughs> Dude, I remember we hit the button and you were like... And all of a sudden, like the world around you starts turning into these small hexes and they start <laughs> flickering and they turn off and you're all sitting in these seats. And I was like, what? What? oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I had you all fooled. Yeah. We were just like minds blown. I mean, I really like thinking back to that session. It was so good. If, if you can find a way to hot start a session, that I think is the best way to do it personally. I've always thought it'd be fun to start a campaign with all new characters, having them already know each other beforehand. And well, that's actually something I wanted to talk about. And it's, it's an idea I've seen in a couple places on like Reddit or people talking. And it's something that uh, Matthew Mercer does where when you start his campaigns, you oftentimes see that there are pairs of characters that know each other. And it's the idea of sitting down in session zero and everyone makes their characters and then the DM pairs them off and says, okay, figure out how you two know each other. So you can start session one with groups because groups are going to interact easier than individuals. They're going to get a lot more done. In They're going to get a lot more done. And then you already have these built-in little teams within the team. You you've you've already you have automatic relationships built out already for character interaction that are going to be a little more meaningful. Exactly, really cool. things that would kind of happen in, over you know the next six sessions, anyways. Right, and then you're not wasting sessions on so much. Like if I so if I could go back, and I'm just saying this because I'm so fresh and new to this, and it's more recent for me. If I could go back and restart what I've done so far. I would start it that way. I would ha I would have a lot of you guys already yeah. have. It would have saved me a lot of time, a lot of like painstaking improv in the first session. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff to like 
get you guys to the same place and to talk to each other and to like, oh, yeah. especially like the first session is always really hard with getting role play jump started because it's just it's like awkward. Everyone's like, okay, what would my character, even if they're comfortable with role playing, it's like, what you're, would my you're, character you're figuring use? this person out. Yeah. Like what would my character say to you? Why would they have a reason to talk to you? Like, yeah, it, it, it removes all that stuff, even though sometimes that can be fun, but it just kind of, gets rid of it and it, you can just like get going definitely and it's still fun oh, there's a couple of ways you could accomplish it you can either do what i suggested earlier where it's just at set at the session zero everyone you sit down is like hey you two figure out how you know each other that works or running pre-sessions before session one and yes this is the way that requires a lot more work but the end goal is a lot more seamless really worth it and so much more organic have i successfully done this no i did what i call session point fives for my, the campaign i'm running now and i did send out a memo to everyone to show up for their camp, session point fives only two people did i didn't mean to not do that i know you didn't i was worry, out of but town you didn't show up i was out of town it was on discord i didn't even have discord at the time I don't even know if I had my PC yet at the time. <laughs> All I had was an iPad Pro, and I wasn't very good at working it. <laughs> PC, Discord works on cell phones. Well, listen, ever since I moved to PC, my life has changed. I know. I'm not technologically challenged anymore. <laughs> I can do these things. I'm just giving you crap, Larry. <laughs> Honestly, all that setup was why everyone... So, actually, I kind of had a... I'll call it a warm start to my last campaign. Yeah. Where, at, and even if everyone attended the session point five, this would have been a warm start. As essentially, the first thing I did as dungeon master was steal items from the party. <laughs> yes, I am a terrible person. It was for a good reason, though. Wait, wait this this current campaign you did uh-huh. that. So we started without things that we were supposed to have. Oh, no. Only the people who attended session point five. Oh, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in that session, uh, it was just Arrow and Francis. They had items stolen from them. The items that they later found in Darius's shop. Oh, that's... Oh, my gosh. I remember that. You know what, though? I helped them get those... Get that deck of many things back. You did. And then... No, the deck of many things wasn't a thing that got stolen. Someone had a special deck of cards. Was, that was no. You found that under the store. That's right. Then you burn the store down. That was two minds trying to work as one. Yes. Me and Brad, it didn't. It it didn't. I'm sorry. We burned your DM plans to the ground because you had oh, so no, much more no, planned for that city. You didn't burn my plans to the ground at all. But you had a lot more planned for that town. What was the town's name? What's the town's name again? Rycrost. Rycross. but. Then we went to Trayport <laughs> for yeah, like these seven hooligans. years. <laughs> no, no, one hooligan. One hooligan. One hooligan. <laughs> After the first session, these guys just skip the intro town. No, one hooligan decided to derail your entire campaign preparation, <laughs> and we yeah. all went with it. <laughs> Y'all just went with it. I was like, great. Oh, my gosh. Hey, you know what? You handled that like a champion, though. Thanks. 
Oh, no, joke's, joke's on you guys. I know. It's not the I last know it's you've coming seen back to, of Rycross. It's coming back to bite us, little stuff. Oh, it's, it's gonna. Four-fingered thin. You guys remember, uh, play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, and I am the master of stupid prizes. Bill and Gary are just going to come back to bite us. Um, oh, no, they just have a 10% chance of showing up anywhere, except for in Gold Breath, where it's 20%. <laughs> well, all of this to say, starting a campaign... Campaign? <laughs> Campaign? Starting a campaign can be um, overwhelming. It can look like a huge job, but I would say at the end of the day, it is so worth it if you can yeah. give it the right amount of attention. And if you're feeling like that's something you want to do, just go for it. Give it a try. There are a lot of like free resources online if you just want to give it a shot yeah. before you like get financially invested into it and even like invested with more time. Uh, just just give it a try. Yeah, it's super worth it. Um, People There's are, always people, um, there are subreddits and yes. forums for people looking for games online. Uh-huh. And There's always your local LGS. Yes, yes. If, if you are lucky enough to have an LGS, some places don't. And mm-hmm. that's that's sad. Yeah. And but, to, I was just going to say, like, for me, like, I had, I had two, two people drop out of my campaign. Oh, yeah, you had a rough start. Within the first month and not and just because like you know coronavirus is happening so they had a really free schedule and then like they went back to work so then like their schedules got busy again they're like dude i'm so sorry like i can't do the time commitment anymore and it was like such a bummer but at the same time like the best thing i could do was just roll with the punches keep going keep writing my story and there are always going to be other people that you can invite to come play in your game and other people that are going to be interested so don't let that bring you down if that happens um just remember to have fun um and help your players have fun. Yeah. The most important thing you, you can do is get started. The first step is always the hardest, but it's most important when you take. And if that's, if that's anything you take away from our rambling tonight is if you want to run a game of D&D or you want to play a game of D&D, find some people. Or if you're sheltering at home, coerce your family into doing it (laughs) you can do it i believe you also for those of you that know how to use technology there's discord yes it's great on those profound notes we are going to be getting out of here and finishing this episode thank you for joining us once again for another episode of dungeons and distillates i know we didn't have any time for homebrew hot takes this week but trust me we'll be bringing them in extra hot and spicy next week so spicy so Tune in. See you guys. Have a wonderful night. Slanjava.